college is a bubble. We're here to pop it. The Albertus Magnus Institute is reinventing the academy, offering education that's as free as it is free. Welcome to the Magnus Podcast. With your help, we are liberating the liberal arts. Now, your hosts, John Johnson and Larissa Bianco. Welcome back to the Magnus Podcast. Larissa here. Before we begin, I want to just remind you that we are in the midst of the great campaign. This is our annual end-of-year fundraiser, where this year we have set out to raise $100,000. Last year, our goal was $75,000, and we made it. And because of that, we were able to offer really excellent courses this last year. So this year... We're hoping to raise 100000 so we can offer even more courses in the coming year. As you may know, our courses are free to our fellows, but to us, they are quite costly to run. Any amount that you are able to give will go directly towards offering these liberal arts courses in our hopes to make a liberal arts education accessible to everybody. So thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting us. And of course, thank you for listening to the Magnus Podcast. Enjoy. Welcome back to the Magnus Podcast. I'm John Johnson. Larissa Bianco is not here right now, but somebody I'm very happy to introduce you to is, this is Christoph Meyer, a serial entrepreneur, uh, one of the co-founders of Hildegard College, and general good guy who you want to hear speak today. Hello, Christoph. Hi, good to be here. It's great I don't think I'd ever uh, thank you. I don't think I'd ever I don't I think I think I would probably not use the word it's a hyphenated word or anyway the statement serial entrepreneur. But I I'll take it. I'll take it, you know. If, it, if the shoe fits, I guess. Is it because it makes you sound like uh, a serial killer? You know, I think it has to do with I think it has to do with I- identity for me and and a lot of the people that I know who who say I am a serial entrepreneur they mean it like that's what they are and uh I would you know Ken Myers from Marcel Audio fame if you don't know him you should look him up at marcelaudio.org um Ken said he's deeply this is over a decade ago so he's deeply concerned with all of this um entrepreneurship identity stuff. We don't need more people to be successful Christian businessmen. We need people to be more successful churchmen. And he really wishes we would get our identity straight. And I found that very, very compelling. So ever since then, I've I've felt a little uh, intimidated or uh, awkward or uncomfortable or something with, um, you know, the identity, putting your identity in, in, in something that's more like, a, you know, like a, I'm awesome and I succeed all the time. Like that seems like the wrong way to go. It's true. And as uh, I guess I would call myself a generalist, would you? Yeah, oh, for sure. Oh, 100%. Yeah. 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 Jack that of all trades. Fits. Yeah. And, and as one of these generalists who can't keep his hand out of any pie he sees, uh, we do find ourselves failing a lot. I fail all the time. I've, I've failed a few businesses in my day. And, you know, it's no fun, but makes you stronger. It's how you learn. You too? Yeah. Yeah. I'd say, um, so I have a little, yeah, no, I have a little, um, call it a shtick or whatever. It's a thing that I, it's like an old chestnut, you know, I just break out all the time. And that is that you, um, we often lead with our overdog stories, you know, hi, yeah. my name is Christoph. I do nothing but win, 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 no matter what, 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 here's a, you know, list of all my achievements. And first of all, it's an edited it's an edited vision of what happened number one and therefore suspicious of course all you know all summaries are but i mean the more important thing is that it makes people feel like maybe you think you're better than them or uh that you take yourself uh too seriously or perhaps worse yet you you are actually so successful that the person you're talking to could like never relate to you so you know um how about lead with our underdog stories uh you know i'm from new mexico uh, my parents still live there in a trailer. Uh, I love them very dearly. Um, you know, I left high school early. Let's just say that way. Um, I cannot believe I got into business school. I applied to so many and they didn't let me in. Um, 
I almost got kicked out my first quarter because I was so bad at counting. Uh, you know, I graduated without a job. Yeah, I could just go on and on, right? Like this is more like the kind of thing where someone goes, oh, okay, well, all right, man, I guess maybe we could be friends, you know, as opposed to, <laughs> yep. I'm, you know, just constantly winning. I'm kind of wealthy. I'm a pretty big deal. Everything I do succeeds. And there, there are like two worlds, I think. And the Christian community should be, I think, more like Jesus and say, in my weakness, I am made strong by the power of Christ. But we often don't actually do that. So it's, it's like a personal like thing of mine. I don't know. It's a, a, for better or for worse. That's well said. I, I would, uh, and, and you're not being braggadocious, but go ahead and tell us, tell us how you win. Tell us, tell us what, what you do. Yeah. So uh, what puts bread on the table? I, I have like two things that make money. The one is I am a consultant, business consultant, um, management strategy consultant in particular. Um, started very, uh, I mean, let's just go back to the very beginning. I'm, I've done marketing consulting and strategy and marketing are fairly related in many businesses. But Mark Joseph at Biola University, who himself is a very interesting character, wrote a great book about Christians in the rock and roll business, among other things, um, and is a producer, um, just a great dude. He, he gave me a chance as, a, as an intern to get a peek behind the curtain of, of how films are marketed. And that really has made all the difference for me. Um, hmm. I didn't deserve that job. I wasn't good at that job. He just, I don't know, said, sure, come on. And that started my marketing journey. It got into financial services marketing and then from there um, realized I was no good at either finance or marketing and needed to go to business school. And uh, yeah, a really wonderful series of events led me to Darden University, uh, Darden College, um, the Darden School at the University of Virginia, excuse me. And, um, and, that, and that really was the defining moment for my business career. That is a very, very unique program. And um, from there, I got into... Um, well, I guess you could say innovation strategy at profit before that Stonia Mashita partners. I'm skipping all the hard stuff to try to answer your question in a positive way. But, you know, anyway, I, I ended up yeah. coming out to, to Boulder, working for a company called egg strategy, a really wonderful, small company, um, offices, I think three offices now transitioned from there to working for myself as a strategy consultant and got retainer clients. From there, went to another business. Um, then I deployed overseas with the army. Then I came back and uh, was a chief strategy officer and de facto president of a really fun s- startup tech company called Mindfully. And then after that, I said, you know, they, they didn't raise money. I thought they um, they might. They decided not to. So all of us found ourselves looking for the new thing. And after several rounds of working for someone, then not. Um, uh, I, I thought, you know, let's not do this anymore. Let's, uh, what, what if I took all my, all my experience and put it together and said, it's time, you know, it's time. Like, so I went and bought a business. I bought a really, really wonderful business called Aloterra Restoration Services. Um, AloterraServices.com. It is a fantastically cool business. I, I just cannot believe that I find myself in a leadership position there serving these ecologists um, working for state and local government, some national, but mo- a few federal contracts, but mostly local cities and municipalities. Um, restoring wetlands, we- restoring streams. Wow. There's a lot to say about that, but it's a wonderful job. So that, that is, that is uh, paying the bills uh, right now. And uh, it's growing, it's exciting, it's terrifying. It's like your typical small business journey. <laughs> yeah. Um, can I ask, this is like asking a rancher how many cattle he has. So I'm sorry, but yeah. can I ask oh, yeah. how many, how many employees you serve? 18, 18 employees. Awesome. Yeah. And you love philosophy, you love education. And I'm wondering as an entrepreneur, how does your love of wisdom affect your daily work in unconventional ways? Let's just go back to the very kind of, top if you think of what we're doing what you know sort of kingdom genus species kingdom when i think about work and the practice of philosophy 
they have the the same father, which is um, a love of wisdom leads to a love of work and a practice of philosophy. So you have philosophy at the top. And then underneath there, I'd say my my perspective on work is that the the most precious thing I can possibly do is re-enchant people's vision of creation. And so for me, when I think about um, what we're doing at work at this job, it really is um, kind of putting the spark back in a lot of our stakeholders' eyes or a sparkle back in their eyes for what they have, which is often really amazing pieces of land. And uh, and then also, perhaps more importantly, um, trying my best, and the Lord knows it's difficult, trying my best to inspire the people who work with me to also feel like every day is an opportunity to give glory to God in their own special way, even if they're not a, a Christ follower. Um, yeah. So they're related, you know, they're like interconnected. I don't really think like I'm going to preach to them, although I may, uh, on any given day, what I'm mostly thinking is how do I, how do I inspire people be a conduit for God's Holy spirit, right? The kind of the core, you know, root of the word inspiration or inspire, um, to, to, to fill with the spirit of God. How do I, how can I do that? And, and that's what I'm trying to do. So I'm trying to do every day, no matter who yeah. I'm talking to. Isn't that beautiful? Uh, and so you're sort of animating something. And it's true that anything that grows, grows through the power of this invisible reality. In living things, we call it a soul. In businesses, we call it a culture. And it's the culture that grows the life of this thing and animates all of its external realities. Um, I find myself as a, you know, in business with employees. And, you know, I've got many Christian, Catholic, non-Catholic, non-believing employees. And the core principles of the business are very much rooted in a certain place. Uh, we do crazy things. Like we're taping this today on the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. And uh, at Patmos, which is my day job, all 68 employees have the day off. It's we give them, it's in the handbook that if it's a holy day obligation, it's a company holiday. Unless you're manning a data center, it's a paid day off. And that strikes so many people as just strange. Uh, but but if you're <laughs> an employee, it is strange, just to be clear, totally That's, strange. Yeah, peculiar, peculiar. I love I love being estrogen. strange. Yeah, yeah. And it and it strikes so <laughs> many people as you know, that's why Luris is not here at AMI, right? It's just it's just me and you talking. Uh, and it's totally strange, but beautiful, and I would say intriguing for the non-Christian employees at our organization in a way that I think is evangelical. I hope that's that's my intention anyway. Um, or if if it's not, at least it's a cool company perk that sort of boosts morale. But have you ever? Um, would you say you do strange things in that vein as an entrepreneur, as a business leader, in a way that's at least countercultural? Yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, I mean, I have a couple of things like I'm into. Uh, the one is um, so. So, I was about to say it's kind of like a family, but I would say I often say, and you probably heard it said, businesses are not families, right? That there's something else. You know, I think I stole that from you on LinkedIn. I think that's brilliant. You know, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I don't, I never liked that phrase either. You're yeah. so right. Businesses yeah. are not families. Family is family. I'm not going to fire you from my family. I might <laughs> fire you from my business, right? Um, but it's it, it's all it's for your own good either way. Um, but so tell so us what, what you mean by that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what, so what is it? And, uh, I like to think of it as more like, uh, a professional sports team where you pick what sport you want to play and you get good at it. And then you say, I want to be on your team. And I say, yo, you are definitely good enough for this team. Now I have to train you. I have to give you equipment. I need to give you coaching. I need to give you 
uh, pay. I need to give you opportunities. I need to help you win and develop as a player. I have to give you those things. That's my obligation once I've said you're on this team. However, if, if for whatever reason you change your mind, you're like, yo, I don't even want to play this game anymore. Like, that's totally okay. There's no, yep. it's, it's not like, how dare you leave the family? So I think of it as more of a, uh, so servant leadership, w- w- where I am the servant of these players. I'm more like a general manager and the people who are out there doing ecology. These guys, you can't hardly imagine how much incredible skill and experience it takes to intuitively look at a bunch of mucky black dirt with like roots in it and go, okay, this is anoxic, but it could support life if we applied two tons of compost with mixed in, say, wood chips and a certain amount of like biochar. And and then if we put in, you know, 10 CI wetland plugs at a rate of one per six, six feet in a diamond pattern, in about nine months, you'd have a thriving wetland right here. Like the average person just cannot do that. I can't even do that. Uh, I have a general sense of how this works, but the people who are good at this stuff, you just can almost do, I mean, that thing that C.S. Lewis said, um, uh, except for the Holy Sacrament, the most holy, sacred thing you ever interact with on a day-to-day basis is another human being. That's how oh, I, it's so beautiful. That's beautiful. That, it's yeah. also true. <laughs> right. Oh. We're like, oh, yes. Oh. Yeah, sometimes you hear things and it's really inspiring, you know, uh, the medieval conception of the cosmos and the discarded image comes to mind. And and it's th- like just so beautiful. It doesn't I th- work. Th- you know, I think this works. That's, that's exactly what is strange about the way we work. And I think our employees pick up on this, that in a, in a corporate world where the norm is to commodify the human person, make the human person into a number fit only for use or deletion. And you come into a business environment with a genuine respect for the human person. And by respect, I mean, I look at that person across the table, all her faults, all her, all her skills. And no, no matter what, just because she's a person in my company, she has the God-given power to actualize me as patient and her as agent. That's not normal in the corporate world, as every caricature from office space to the office, uh, has, has, exactly, has, to Dilbert, has always signified. And so I think there's something radically powerful about that simple change that just humanizes business. Yeah, like, here we go. Uh, book two is my favorite book. Uh, so I, I go back. I mean, I'm like in Boethius every week, multiple times. But Oh, let's get into Boethius. Book two, um, say chapter six or section six, depending on what how you're going about looking at Boethius. I should like to say something about the dignities of high office and the exercise of power, is what we're talking about. But I'm at a loss because in your ignorance of the true nature of power and dignities, people like you exalt themselves to high office in virtue of the offices they hold. Now, whenever high office has fallen into the hands of wicked men, the disaster has been greater than flood or volcanic eruption. You remember, I'm sure, how the principle of freedom, though it had been your ancestors wanted to abolish the consulship because the arrogance of the consuls, consuls being like a placeholder for like the managerial class, right? Yep. He says before that, and the, the in their arrogance, they had led they had led themselves to abolish the title of king. Uh, blah blah blah. However. Let us examine this much lauded and much sought after power of yours. You creatures of earth, don't you stop to consider the people over which you think you exercise authority? I mean, like we were carrying on this other conversation. It's like Boethius will specifically address the way that leaders should interact with their people very specifically. And and I'll tell you the talk about underdog story. The punchline here is... um, you are going to lose, leader guy. You're going to lose it all. And the real thing that you're supposed to have learned if you love beauty and you love wisdom is you're supposed to, I mean, literally, I could read it. It's friendship. Um, let's see here. When you lose it all, do you think 
Do you think it is of small account that if this happens to you, this harsh and terrible misfortune, do you think it's revealed those friends whose hearts are loyal to you? Yes, she's shown you the friends whose smiles were true smiles and those whose smiles were false. In deserting you, fortune has taken her friends with her and left those who are really yours. Had you remained untouched and as you thought blessed by fortune, you would have been unable to get such knowledge at any price. And so you're weeping over lost riches when you have really found the most precious of all riches, friends who are true friends. Wow. That's that's it. That's it. And, this, and I think this yeah. is what it's all about. This is what Business, it's all I mean. about. No, <laughs> no yeah. exactly, exactly, exactly. And, and it makes for, I mean, you're talking about growing wetlands, but that makes for fertile business climate. And I, th- and I think the world hasn't yet seen the power of a rightly ordered, I mean, dare I say Christian business. Um, and, and, and I think Christians are so good at being losers. We're so good at sucking. So we make, you know, we make these movies that are just like terrible, but you should go see them because they're made by the right people. And I don't buy that. I I never compete in business on values or vision alignment, whatever, you know, whatever that is. Um, it's like, I think Chick-fil-A kind of does this well. Like they just make a really good chicken sandwich. Uh, yeah. And then, the, you know, then they wear the rest on their sleeve, but you're not going there just because they're your people. You're going there for the good chicken sandwich. Which, and I think, you know, you can't have a good business without being good at what you do. Um, back to Boethius. Yeah. There is this temptation that he deals with pretty early on. You could probably cite it. But, but he says something like, First um, book. Why, why, does, why does philosophy compel me to enter the public life? That is, it's, it's, it's a temptation of the philosopher to be sort of insulated and off on his own island contemplating the, the highest things. But he actually counters that. And I wish I could find it or remember the exact quote. It might be around book three or four. Yeah, it's <clears throat> it, towards, yeah, it, it, it's after this sort of setup. Uh, I could, yeah, you could get in, there, there's a couple ways into this, but, but, but sorry, I interrupted you, C- continue. No, that's that's kind of all I got. I'm searching for the quote also, but but it's it's always struck me like like um, a rightly ordered mind actually compels one to go into the public sphere, um, and precisely in his case, it's to sort of mitigate the risks of tyrants, uneducated tyrants, wrecking a civilization. Yeah, it's it's all just parts of just the setup for book four um, that. Yeah, I I think um so so be, part of what part of what Boethius is doing I think in in general is is showing that um okay so for the first thing is that life is a a hot mess and you you cannot affect that. You cannot affect that. Yep. You think you can, but you can't. Me and you at the end of the day Man, we've gotten kind of lucky, if we're being honest. The question is, so what do you do no matter what luck you get, good luck or bad luck, like good fortune or misfortune? Well, he says, turns out you can still you can still make the world a better place and you can still do good, even when you quote, quote, lose, because here he was about to get executed, well, locked up in threat of being executed and then ultimately executed. And so he is actually a really, really, it's not like he's like looking down his nose at people and saying, you know, like, oh, you know. I've been so blessed, you know, hashtag blessed, you know, all you guys down there. No, it's the opposite. He's lost yep. everything. He's about to be killed. He's lost all of his friends. He's lost the support of the emperor. As you probably are aware, he was also in the midst of working with the Eastern uh, the Eastern Empire, and he was in serious high-level talks between, and that's probably why he got executed realistically. Why he got killed. Did. Yeah. So he was trying to do this incredible work. Just like you may say, uh, go into you know go into office or, or or seek public office or something, and he did that, and he said like I I I don't regret it, 
actually, he doesn't say that. He says it was terrible and this whole thing is awful. And then um, Sophia comes in and, and, and says, well, um, you, you should do it because, um, one, it'll make you happy. Uh, happiness comes in service. See the gospel or see the epistle to the Philippians, excuse me. And and second of all, um, it's if it's it's virtue ethics. If it's good to do it, you should do it anyway because it's going to make you happy. And we wish everyone in the world would do this. Yep. And so much of what the world pursues is just this counterfeit allure of happiness that will always lead to something else. So I'll quote from Book Seven. Oh. Then what shall I? I'm going to fast forward a lot, but yeah. then what shall yeah. I say of pleasures of the body? The lust, therefore, uh, the lust thereof is full of uneasiness, the sating of repentance, what sickness, what intolerable pains, and they, won't, they want to bring on the bodies of those who enjoy them, the fruits of inequity, as it were. Now, what sweetness and stimulus of pleasure may I have, I do not know, but that the issues of pleasure and painful everyone may understand who chooses to recall the memory of his flesh and lust. Nay, it, this is the key. If these can make happiness, there is no reason why the beasts should not also be happy, since all their efforts are eagerly set upon satisfying the bodily wants. I know indeed that the sweetness of wife and children should be rightly comely, yet only to, yet only to true to nature is what, uh, is what was said of one that he found his sons, his tormentors. <laughs> I mean, I, this is, this is beautiful, right? Because he's, he's giving us a program for happiness that, that, that um, it must go beyond what the world pursues on mass. And that, and, and that is what, what beasts pursue. And we're not, we're not beasts. We're meant for something higher that actually terminates in death. And it can be a happy death. Through the constellation of Lady Wisdom, who sews her own garments. It's the most beautiful. I think it's in book two, right? Lady Wisdom, yeah. or maybe book one. Just, but she, yeah, yeah. Just a, it's just proverbs, right? That's right. Uh, the lilies of the field, who neither toil nor spin, uh, but yet are arrayed, you know, more more splendidly than Solomon. If the Lord takes care of these things so well, will He not take care of you? Uh, this is uh, also in in the gospel of something anyway so you have two 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 cases where we're drawn to think about the fact that god is providing for his creation in extravagant ways that are absolutely over the top and they do nothing for it they don't have a will in the same way that we have a will if they have a will at all um and god takes care of them why why would we ever imagine that God's not going to take care of us? What right. argument could you possibly have for that? That's right. You know, and not only, not only us, you don't have one. You know? Yeah, and, and not only us, but our work. If you think about the despair that's confronting Boethius, um, he's he's essentially uh his work is to prevent a great schism before one happens, uh 500 years before it finally does. And it seems that this is all lost. Uh, I think. I think the the weight of his work is is not unknown to him. Uh, his family's probably going to be killed, and they are. He knows that. Yeah. Um, and and he's here in in love with with wisdom, and and dies dies a martyr, um, who's still Amen. celebrated today Amen. for that. Amen. Yeah. And people forget this. I, I got into an argument with a fairly, a fairly senior Anglican leader. Ah, we don't know if he's, you know, who knows? Should we treat him? He doesn't say the word Jesus in this book. And, um, and therefore, it's, it's, you know, probably we shouldn't uh, accept his canonization. Well, I beg to differ. I beg to differ. Well, you should beg to differ. It is curious why, you know, if you read this, his Catholicism, I think, is ambiguous. Um, it's, it's all on the, it's all in the marginalia. So right. they're similar to the ways that you think about say King Alfred, who's the person of King Alfred, very hard to know, because if you look at his writing, it's, 
it's mostly translations of other stuff and a few letters to the Pope, which are fantastic. But how do you get to know the real person? It's in the marginalia. How do you get to know the person of Boethius? You have to understand the small changes he made or the way that he was interpreting turns of phrases of especially uh, Aristotle. And so um, it is not impossible to say, oh, that's only consistent with like a with a worldview that is um, that accepts the the public revelation of God's true nature in the person of Jesus, because we don't have another example of of God incarnate manifest in human form walking around to 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 show us how to do the stuff that the neo that the Platonists you know Neoplatonists were talking about. If it's the case that he says something or accepts something that could only be true if we had ever seen the person of Jesus, then you know, okay, all right. So he's he is a Christian and he's interpreting it all through a certain lens. There's a lot of wonderful um, stuff out there which we can talk about. But my point in bringing this up is to say that it is not incompatible with the gospel of Jesus to believe that the answer to life's questions always come in seeking wisdom that you don't need to say wisdom is not good enough you know we need to disregard wisdom and just say the word jesus all the time uh, boethius is um uh, boethius shows us not only the the power of a deeply rightly ordered philosophy around the love of of wisdom it will keep you sane in bad times it will help you court favor with leaders it can help you build ties within the church all these things right so it's useful however i i also do think it's just it's just what the bible wants you to do is deeply love wisdom so um well I, yeah it's what christ wants us to do I, I and i think um if if uh, if you know Boethius is writing the Constellation of Philosophy, who knows? Maybe if he gets a few more weeks before he gets clubbed out, he writes us the Constellation of Theology. Um, but you know, in this uh, Aristotelian Platonic tradition that he's very much he's so rooted in, right? We wouldn't even have half of Aristotle without his translations. Correct. Correct. But 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 this, shall we call it pre-Christian philosophy? is is i think historically and typologically an act of providence itself that is the the philosophy of socrates has to terminate in a beautiful darkness is socrates he's the wisest man because he admits he doesn't know anything and when he's being killed himself he's like that i don't know where i'm going maybe it's better than here maybe it's worse than here but I'm I'm doing the right thing, and that's my happiness. But he doesn't know; he can't see beyond it. In the same way that the Baptist can't even see beyond his his blind pointing. Follow follow him, the Lamb of God, and then he stops. Right, but he recognizes Christ in the darkness of the womb, and so this is what the pre-Christian philosophy is. It's sort of the best that we can do, which is recognize our own nothingness. Um, apart from the one who calls us into being, but you can't even see the one who calls you into being. There's a happiness in simply recognizing that you didn't do it yourself. That's there's a consolation there. Uh, the Christian tradition, there, we I guess we call it like apophasis or sort of negative theology, but that's the beginning of the mystical life. That's the beginning of our Christian life is this death. You know, we we signify that sacramentally with baptism, but that death grows into life, even if we can't see the life beyond it when we die. That's sort of what death is. It's this great surprise. Um, no no kid in utero knows what it's like to be born, but that's its natural trajectory. It's just swimming around in this beautiful darkness, right? But the philosopher at his best realizes, yeah, I guess I'm in I'm in utero now. I don't know what's coming next. Yeah. Well, I it. think that's, I think that in the following in the process of saying, I submit to the wisdom and I will follow it wherever it leads me. You, you have a, a, a beautiful encapsulation of God's work with humanity from the very beginning till the very end. It, it, you know, when you think about the hall of faith in Hebrews and, and how all these people 
are saved by their following in the absence of actually having seen Jesus and that, and that that faith was credited to them as righteousness. You have to believe that this, that, that God, you have to walk away thinking for sure God is very interested in this thing called following the logos. That's right. You, you have to, there's you, like, if you, what else could you, what else would you conclude about this crazy thing, these people that didn't see, but they still knew, and yet it's credited to them as righteous. What exactly were they doing if it's like righteous? They were obeying God totally. And and whatever that looks like uh, in the best your they life, could. that's the best they could. And so, and then if you said, oh, well, they're just following the logos, they might've got followed off a cliff, right? They might just follow wisdom some weird way. And then John comes along and goes, yo, in the beginning was the logos and the logos is with the God and the logos was God. And he came to earth and we have been following him and wise men follow him and will eventually uh, get to be back with the father. So following the logos is the smallest encapsulation I could, I could um, come up with for what is philosophy, for what does it mean to be a Christian, and what does it mean to be a Christian businessman? Like, that's yeah. it. Right do on. it. Don't talk right about it. Just do it. And and when you do that, all this good stuff happens, and yet all of it is just living a spirit-filled life. All that it is, right? It's like the most difficult thing there is to do in all of life. But I mean, <laughs> uh, it, that's it. And that's why that's why philosophy if you take it seriously and you really do follow the logos, you will find your way, I believe, to Jesus. That's right. And I think that wisdom, and it's it's the wisdom of St. John, it's the wisdom of St. Paul, uh, who, who points to this unnamed God that these people have been following. And he says, well, yep. now here, here is, here's the one. He showed up. Uh, here's his name. Uh, it's the one you've been following in a blindness. And I think that wisdom also applies to the, shall I call it, potentially Christian uh, work world with our employees, right? Mm-hmm. And the and the just those we serve um, in 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 the in the sphere of commerce. That that is, it's um, there's a way to follow it without naming it until one is ready for it to be named, and that's not some gnostic secret, right? It's just right. it's it's just. Facts. It's the facts and it's the way it's the way we come to know our source. It's the way our source lets us come to know him. Better. I think that's better. Yeah. He's yeah. calling to us. We can hear him. And we have to obey the call. And if we do we're walking in the right path. Yeah. And all of us, that's, you know, he, he's on, he's on the cross so that all men might be drawn to himself in their own, in their own capacity. Yeah. I think the, I think the, the fallacy of modern day quote, quote, Christian business gurus oftentimes, and I've, I've been to a few of these like conferences and stuff, and I've read a few books is that they, that the end is total, the end should be of business should be total submission to the will of the father. That should be the end. That's the tell us like all of us. We're like, not only submitted to the will of the father, which is for, for all people to have their ultimate good, uh, to, to accomplish their ultimate good and be lost in him, um, or found in him, I guess. Um, but there's also a lot of, um, people who would say, there are other ends to business and that's the problem, right? It's, we got to build a community and we got to make a lot of money for our shareholders. And uh, we got to increase, you know, shareholder value or or stakeholder value or employee value, all these things. According to philosophy, making a teleological means and into an end, see Dante, Um, as he goes into hell, right in the inferno, um, you see, like these are not bad things, but you made these means an end. 
they they said uh the, the people that the lustful are my favorite because they've made the so there's a searching in trying to fall in love and then you finally are in love and then loving is the thing or uh, as lewis says um when you're diving diving's the thing until you hit the water and then diving's not the thing anymore now swimming's the thing but if you say ah it's all about diving you're going to end up in trouble and for people who are in business and they say it's all these other things to the end they are going to end up in trouble too you have to have the right end be the end and that's that is really hard but i don't i don't think maybe it doesn't sell books or something like you know love god with all your heart the end but um but that's the problem <laughs> That's the problem, right? And philosophy will show you how to rightly order your loves That's so right. that you have the end as the end and then all these things underneath it. Bingo. It's funny you mentioned Dante. I was I was revisiting the constellation of philosophy in preparation for this podcast, of course. Uh, you know, in between stalking you on your LinkedIn profile as well. But um I bet it. You know, the first thing that comes to mind is this is a lot, you know, especially the intro. It's a lot like Dante's Inferno uh, and, I, or, and, the, and the Divine Comedy, right? Um, yeah. And I'm like, ah, I think Boethius is better. I, I mean, may, maybe not. I mean, but I, yeah. I, I know that might be, uh, there might be people, especially in our circle listening to this or saying, no way. I, yeah. think, I think I think Boethius is better than Dante. Maybe better than Dante. Me. Better than Dante. Better than Dante. Uh, my very good friend Matt Anderson, I guess it's like Doctor Matthew Lee Anderson now, but you know Matt Anderson at Baylor, he helped create this program called Hundred Days of Dante. It is life changing, by the way, to go through all hundred uh days so it's is it 33 contos per and then one wrap up i can't remember i think it's 33 contos i think it's i think so oh, yeah. yeah anyway he made it into 100 days for his thing and it was great it was it was actually life-changing um a couple of them stand out to me as just spectacular um and by the end of it i i thought it's so beautiful and it's so lush and it's so imaginative, in addition to all the wonderful things it's doing theologically and practically, that like I wrote four papers on the beatific vision at the top of Mount Purgatory at Biola. I mean, I like I got real into this um, whole beatific vision thing. But I often find myself thinking about stuff like planetary motion and like the nature of physical struggle. And I'm really, I'm, I'm doing all this stuff. I mean, Dante will, will do, it's a whole world. But if you want a handbook to knock you out of your stupidity, to help you realize that, that you are foolishly ignoring your own happiness by sinning against the Lord and not following his logos, then you are much, you, you are in much better hands just picking up Boethius at random and opening it, you know, like a teenager at an evangelical church, just doing your daily devotion. You're much better doing that with Boethius <laughs> than you would at, at, I know from personal experience, by the way, um, than you are Dante. picking up Dante. Because Dante is just more complex. It's just, and if you want, again, if you want a handbook for what to do when times get hard. Yes. Or when times are hard. This is the answer. This is the thing. So true. Um, let's do a quick lightning round. And then there's a there's an important practical question I want to ask you as well. But okay, besides okay. the constellation of philosophy, what strange books like this out of the great tradition would you say business people, particularly founders and entrepreneurs, should read? What, define classical tradition. You mean like real classics or just like books that people like me like? Uh, either way you want to go with that. I would say like, you know, you know, let's start with maybe what we, what some people like to call the canon, um, you know. Thomas Akempis maybe? I mean. Sure. Uh, uh, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll put out a controversial one because I'm late to the party. Uh, Pilgrim's Progress. Very good. Very good. John Bunyan. John Bunyan, Paul Bunyan, John Bunyan, John Bunyan. Am I right? Bunyan, probably, anyway. Probably not Paul Bunyan. 
He was the yeah, big guy I, with the axe. I said there. it right. I just got really nervous when I said that out loud. I was like, am I wrong? Uh, so Pilgrim's Progress, uh, it, it's an, an, you know, an, an analogy, or you could say that the whole thing is, is kind of cheesy, or you could say all kinds of things about it. But take it real seriously for a second and, and just realize that um, – I said analogy, I meant allegory. Sorry, I meant allegory just now. Uh, wow. Yes, it's, yes, it's an allegory. Excellent distinction. <laughs> yes, it's an allegory. Yeah. Uh, but it, it, it will show you a lifetime and a glance for a Christian. And you will realize as you read it, I've been there. I've been there. I'm probably about to go there. And in particular, the, the, the section in there where he goes to Vanity Fair, I, I just keep rereading that, that part about and that is like the nature of our world right now we are living in vanity fair and and it is they are going to kill us if they can the citizens of vanity fair they're going to they're going to try to kill us like that's enough right there for a, a year of careful reflection on your own life but um anyway so i like pilgrim's Pro i like pilgrim's progress uh i really 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 like um uh the everlasting man by Chesterton. It's yeah. not a classic per se, but I think it's tremendous. I think Brothers K, I think everybody should know and love Brothers K. Uh, Brothers Karamazov by Dostoevsky. It's, it's absolutely. absolutely fantastic and will change your life if you take it seriously. The Grand Inquisitor in particular will, it, if you can get through that with your faith intact, like you're, you're there, you know, you're in yep. a good spot. Uh, I'm Desert Fathers. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, desert father. Yeah, absolutely. I, there's one I'm into right now for the first time and, I, and I'm late to the party, like you said. Um, and I, it's not necessarily, you know, out of the, uh, out of the, the Adler canon per se of great books, but, um, St. Teresa of Avila's foundations, it's one of her yeah. least famous books and it's yeah, basically a history of her founding all these, uh, all of these monasteries, across Spain and that woman was an entrepreneur and it's really practical. So that's, that's one I'd throw into the ring. Another one that's a very short read and it's fiction, but a beautiful cautionary tale on um, a life of pursuing pleasure is Willa Cather's Alexander's bridge. I don't know if you've ever read that. It's, it, it's awesome. It's one of her short stories and, it just hits you like a ton of bricks. So, uh, and this is a, a segue into my next question, but I don't know if you've had this experience, but uh, AMI, we endorse certain colleges that are just doing the great books and doing uh, traditional classical education really well. And it is one of my guilty pleasures to hire graduates from these schools, regardless of whatever technical skills they might or might not have. I probably hired 10 of them in the last four years. Um, I, I mean, I, if you're, if you're, if you go to TAC right now and you're listening to this, um, and it's kind of, I think people from TAC have gotten out of this. Cause like, I just get these random emails and messages saying, Hey, you know, I don't, I don't know how to do anything, but I like the kind of company you're running and I want to work for you. I'm like, yep. Yeah, yeah. We'll find a spot for you. And it's never failed me. It's never failed me. These kids know how to think. And when you know how to think, you can do anything. You can learn anything. Have you experienced anything like this? And, and practically, you know, how do you go about sort of home growing your own talent out of that vein? Yeah, um, I think the, so the, the first one is the United States Army Officer Corps. Mm. I just like if, if someone knows who I am. And we have this conversation while smoking a cigar in a cold place with lots of army gear on. And they say, I would like really, I just want to work with you somehow. Um, I, I guarantee that that's a match that that person will, will work for me well or with me well, that, um, that we will be able to, you know, create value that we could never create on our own, that kind of a thing. And of course, the most obvious one that should go without saying, but you know, like let's just say it out loud, is Tory Honors College students who are 
I, I, let me give you a couple examples real quick, real quick. First one, uh, I still get together with a couple dozen Tory friends every single year. And it's going on two decades now that we that just great? got to, it just, there it is. It's like, this. just, we're just like, nothing ever yep. happened. Uh, yep. second, second example, we moved here. Don't have any friends, put the little bat sign up. Yo, I'm a Tory guy in Colorado. And I don't know. It's like every what quarter or something. Someone will come up and say like, Hey, can I just come to your farm? I just want to hang out. I don't know who you are, but I'd love to hang. And, and now there are people moving into Denver who are friends of friends of people that I know, and they are all connected by only one thing. And that's a Tory honors project in our living room every you know every week practically we'll have a, a random person that i didn't know before but just because a tory recommendation from a recommendation for someone and deeply spiritual deeply rightly ordered in their vision of the world oftentimes asking really hard questions tory. yeah it, it uh, is okay awesome. uh, well yeah. wyoming wyoming catholic i mean love those yep. guys me too hire them all the time yep That's uh they are. And it's a different kind of person. It's a different kind of thinker. And I think anybody can become that. I'm not, you know, trying to carve out this exclusive elite uh, thing, but you know, this is what the world does, right? You know, they, they hire from their Ivy league towers and their uh, whatever the skull and bones thing, but they, that's <laughs> it's a pretty sinister way to think about it, but we keep it in the family. I think we should try to keep it in the family a lot better. Like there's this principle of solidarity, that Christians are particularly bad at, um, you know, somebody told me the other day, I heard a talk that was like the, the Jews, they keep before a dollar leaves the community, it trades hands within the Jewish community 17 times on average. And Catholics are so easy. Christians are so easy to just sell out for whatever reason. I think that's done us a disservice and we got to get better at sticking together. Option one those people are bad because they're not being open armed. Option two, we're bad because we love success more than we love our neighbors. Yeah. Yeah. I I think there's a there's a way to to um do both well, right? I mean false dichotomy could be. I, I just think yeah. I just I just think that your your orientation should be towards love. Wendell Berry's talk in 2014 called uh, it turns on affection something like that it all turns on affection um it's been very formative for me at the end of the day success or failure in business or per personal life or your community life or your or your financial life turns on loving the right things and if you don't love your neighbor you will let him suffer while going out and enriching your own pocketbook hmm. that's bad for the world it's bad economically it's bad love uh you know it's bad charity it's 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 bad entrepreneurship because you have a better chance probably helping raise someone up who you know than you do hiring on the open market but i i do think it's love it's a love problem that we don't really love those around us we love money or ourselves that's the real problem well said, Christoph Meyer. This has been beautiful. You're you're so impressive, and I and I want to talk to you a lot more. I'm going to visit you in person and have a beer with Let's you when I'm, in, when I'm in Denver next. Uh, plug Hildegard College, Hildegard College to, to learn more. But it's it's yeah. this beautiful. Um, entrep How would you phrase it? like entrepreneurial slash? wisdom school um we're trying to figure this thing out i mean i i do love redemptive entrepreneurship um i think that sometimes people thinks what that think what that means is that we have like a superior uh vision uh, like we're like so great we're gonna like redeem all these poor sad businesses and that is not the idea no, the idea yeah. is that a lot of things out there are 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 kind of broken or or are um, in need of someone to love them. And if you would come in and love them well, all these various kinds of initiatives and, and help create something new there, they would flourish and that would be good for the world. And it's that kind of love of flourishing that, that is uh, behind or sort of that, that inspires us to think about how might we raise up the next generation of entrepreneurs. So to do that, you have to have people who can think well, 
who can order their loves, who are deeply rooted in a particular place, who deeply understand how the world got the way it is, which is the part of the big argument for doing a deep dive into Western um, classics. Um, but also, I think that the the core, um, you, you know, let's just say like a fabric of, of Hildegard is, is actually um, formation, that you're not just consuming information products, but you're being shaped and formed by the community around you. And so uh, I can say for sure that we've spent more time thinking about what is the community look like that is adjacent to Hildegard um, than almost anything else. So that's partners in the community. That's the individuals who are specifically around um, the, the students at Fieldwork, this is like entrepreneurship kind of incubator space. That also means the partners that we have in the community that are not businesses and then the churches and then the homes. So it's a really large cocoon of people who love these students and are prepared to help them as the Holy Spirit forms them. That's different. And, and I think what it's going to do is it's going to breed a, a group of people who are the ones like the ones you're talking about that you just, you just hire a Hildegard person, and you know, they care a lot. They're very flexible and nimble and adaptable. They are hardworking and they're deeply grounded in um, what it takes for business to actually work. So it's practical and that put those together, practical, spiritual, and, um, and relational uh, you'll, you'll get there. And I think it's, um, I, I think love it's better. I think it's better. I love it. And it has to be said that you didn't have to do this. Uh, you had a success, you have a successful business a family, you're making it and you could have made it on your own and you see the need of, I mean, it's a, it's a divine calling, I'd say to sort of cultivate something beyond yourself that extends your own life and the life of your kids, hopefully, that's a noble endeavor. And so, and so God bless your work and your generosity. And that, um, I, I think the revitalization of education is the most needed thing to sort of reverse many, many ills for the sake of our children and, and their children's generation. So thank you. Hildegard. It's my, my pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, great job. Keep it up. We'll talk again soon. There's a lot more I want to talk to you about. Uh, even if you didn't go to one of these colleges, you can do it online for free. It's as free as it is freeing. Visit magnusinstitute.org and become a fellow today. We poach the best and brightest professors from these colleges and they moonlight for you in live, interactive, online courses. What could be better than that, right, Christoph? Uh, this is just so good. It's such a it's such a beautiful thing. <laughs> I, like, good job, man. You know, God God is so creative that anytime you meet someone, you think, oh, this is it. I've I've heard of all the ideas, and someone's like, aha, and and there's the Holy Spirit inspiring you and raising you up to do some different thing. Ah, it's so good. Boom. Back I don't have you, enough man. life to live. I don't have enough life to live. Like, I, I would yeah, like to, you know, involved, obviously that's, that's why you gotta, you, you know, you don't, we don't have enough life. All we, all we can do is give as much as we can. Right. That's, and that's kind of like Boethius go back to our guy here. He just gave it all. He left it all in the field. And, um, and that's kind of the way. And I think, you know, you brought up CS Lewis earlier, but I think he says something in mere Christianity. Like it's not, it's not, it's not easy. It's very hard but at least it's a very simple move to make. Like there's, you don't, you, you know, all you have to do is give everything. That's all you have to do. It's a very simple thing. Swish too, too easy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's true. It is true. And I, and I think from my perspective, the thing that we, that we, um, that we do as, as believers or, or like, believer, uh, redemptive believers or whatever, is I think we oftentimes complicate it so much that that's what I'm trying to do. When I say something like, all you have to do is like follow the leading of the Holy spirit. And I I'm, I'm for sure making less money than I could other ways for sure. Guaranteed for sure. And, and, and I may fail at this business thing or with Hildegard or with, um, with my consulting or with my farm. We didn't even talk about all the farm, cool farm stuff I knew with soil ecology and soil restoration. Um, but as long as I'm following the Holy Spirit, he'll be um, doing his work. And even, you know, like it says in Job, though he slay me, 
yet will I serve him. I've got no choice. I've got no choice. Amen. And this is back to where we started this beautiful conversation, but noble failure is a great measure of success. Mm. So Mm -hmm. let's go Mm -hmm. fail. All right, Christoph. Thank thank you so much. Thank you so much. Prayers for you and your work. God bless you and your family. Yeah. And we'll see you again soon. All right, man. We'll talk soon. The Magnus Podcast is a production of the Albertus Magnus Institute Incorporated. To learn more, way more, by becoming a fellow today, visit magnusinstitute.org. Copyright 2023, Albertus Magnus Institute Incorporated. All rights reserved.